Hey, what's up, guys? This is Gabriel Machadev, and welcome to another show here at Startup Founders. This is show number eight, numero ocho, today here with Sean Betridge. Uh, Sean is not only an entrepreneur, a startup founder, but he also is an educator, and he actually educates and teaches at university entrepreneurship. Uh, he's the co-founder of A Point B, is a software tool content management system that allows business to build their site like in a one, two, three. This is so easy. Now, today is interesting, this podcast, because I talked with Sean about the challenges of being an entrepreneur, but in this case, even more challenging is how do we actually teach this, okay? How do we actually go out there and allow or help people um, to learn about entrepreneurship and the challenges that we face because we already know how difficult this is going to be. So when we are faced with the challenge of inspiring the new generation to be entrepreneurs, to build a startup, um, to go out there, how do we tackle this? And this is a pretty interesting conversation today with Sean here at Startup Founders. I'm excited about the possibility that I have with this show to really bring very smart cookies, very smart people into the show and tackle these problems because until now, I didn't really question myself, how am I going to eventually, I mean, when my son, Sebastian, he's the oldest one, uh, I mean, start his entrepreneurial path, how am I going to help him? And what is the role of a university um, to help these students to become KiCast entrepreneurs? So this is the show, show number eight, um, and enjoy it. Here is Sean Bedridge, co-founder of Appoint B at Startup Founders. Cool. So, Sean, thank you so much for being um, on the show here, Startup Founders. I'm excited to have you here. And I usually I ask everyone that comes on the show to introduce themselves, I mean, to the audience. So the question is, who is Sean Bedridge? Who is Sean? Sean, someone that's uh, been playing around on the internet for a very long time and uh, had a long, long interest in technology and kind of business. Uh, and I've been trying to do my own thing for a long, long time now. Uh, so I've tried many, many things. Uh, and in between that, I've done a bunch of outside of the kind of entrepreneur space and more in the, uh, I've worked as a litigation lawyer, I've worked in digital forensics. Uh, so I'm a bit of a mutt, I'm a, a mix of everything, I think. Does the mix help? I mean, when, you, when you're launching, I mean, startups or actually makes it more complicated for you? Uh, so I guess one of my things I, I teach uh, at the moment is uh, entrepreneurship and commercialization at, at UTS. And one of the things I talk about a lot is I think there is value in experiencing business outside of just working for yourself, uh, particularly coming out of uni and being quite young. Uh, I'm quite a big proponent of going and working for some company in an industry and getting to know an industry better uh, and then you know, working in it for a while, understanding what real business problems look like. Uh, and I think the mix has helped. I mean, working as a lawyer, you understand about legal frameworks, how the law works. Uh, working as like a full stack engineer, you kind of understand how products go together, how kind of the internet operates uh, and kind of covers a big gambit of things. So I found that it's generally helped me be a really good generalist. Okay. And I think generalist actually helps a little bit because you also have a technical background, right? I mean, and you also have, so, I mean, let, let me get this clear. You have a technical background, but you also, you're, are you a lawyer also? Yeah. So I started uh, as a 
I mean, I'll take it back to like uni, right? I started uh, studying computer science. I did a three-year computer science degree. And towards the end of that, I was, I was watching a lot of Boston Legal on TV. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to be a programmer forever. And at that point, I'd already been working as a web developer for a couple of years. And I was like, you know, there might not just be the longevity in, in studying and being a programmer forever. Uh, maybe I want to skill up in something else. And at that point, I was like, you know, I'm really not that good at reading writing reports. Uh, I know nothing <laughs> about the law, but I really like Boston legal. So I was like, okay, I'll go and try that out. So, uh, I did a law subject while I was studying computer science. I did a ride at it. I was like, Oh, this could be interesting. And then I went and did a law degree after that. Uh, and Oh my God. My, it, 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 yeah. sounds, it sounds like you were doing like a quick course. Okay. You did a law degree you sound so casual. Okay. Well, most, most of my law degree was filled with work. I'd say I was working more than I was actually studying. Uh, and I was working as like a, a full stack developer. I was working as a test analyst. Uh, I was kind of running my own thing, trying to build a few products myself. Uh, and then once I finished my law degree, I was like, well, I should go give this a go. And I became a, a litigation lawyer for a few years. Uh, transitioned out of that. I'm, I was missing the nerdiness. So I transitioned out of that and I moved into digital forensics. Uh, and then more recently, I, I kind of gave it up. I gave up the corporate life and uh, just went 24-7 in on my, my own thing. Okay. And right now you're working in a, in a brand new, fresh startup, right? Uh, yeah. But before we, we head to that, let's talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned that you're actually teaching entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. How does that work? How, 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 how do we actually teach that? So I've actually had a like a, they had a uni event where I debated this uh, and I got the four entrepreneurship can be taught. Uh, I think I would have been okay with running with either argument. I can kind of see the point both ways, but I see my role at UTS is really to be a bit of a sounding board for the students. Uh, a lot of students have, they all have ideas, right? They don't really know the difference between an idea and an opportunity. Uh, they all think, you know, the idea is worth a lot of money that, uh, it's going to make them overnight success. And it's really grounding the students in reality around, okay, well, you know, it actually does take about two years, even for a, you know, a easy entry industry like software, where it's actually not that expensive to build. There's not heaps of R&D. You can get going pretty quick. You're still not going to hit something like product market fit for two years. And in that two years, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Uh, so really it's preparing them and kind of getting them hands-on tools to know what to do. Like how do you spin up a landing page? How do you run a MailChimp campaign? What is SEO? What is marketing? What is, uh, you know, vertical uh, expansion, what is horizontal expansion. So it's really a preparatory subject. I tell them it's not a pre prescriptive subject. Really what I'm teaching is uh, kind of suggestive. It's saying, well, these are the areas you can go in and this is what you can test out. Uh, so I don't know if you can teach it to a degree where you can become successful, but you can at least give people kind of hands-on tools and a bit of experience to know what to expect and what to try and how to go about it. So you're actually mainly guiding them and then it's obviously their, I mean, their job if they want to pursue to explore those, those paths that you're actually showing them, right? Yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty big subject. Uh, there's about, 400 and, about 420 people enrolled this session and it's two sessions a, a year. So it's a lot of, and they're all engineers, mostly they're, they're engineering. So some of them just want to do the subject uh, and that's fine. They, they have to 
produce a business plan and a pitch towards the end of it. So I help them towards that. But there's a lot of students that are somewhat invested. They have a bit of skin in the game behind their idea. They want to kind of execute on it at some point. Uh, and so for those, uh, we, ca- we take quite a bit of time and kind of help them ground their idea and opportunity in reality. Uh, and then help them go and do something with it after. If they want to go and explore, uh, you know, actually acting on it, uh, we can kind of help them and push them in the right direction. There's a few things that the that the uni provide. Uh, there's like competitions. They have like inter-uni comps if you want to do like a pitching competition or you want to go and chat to a mentor. The uni's got lots of stuff like that as well. So this is a core subject, so it's part of the curriculum. And then we can, if they're interested, we push them in the direction that they want to go. Do you find it interesting that, that you, you're getting more engineers doing this entrepreneurial thing versus, I mean, people that are in different areas or is um, it's more conventional to see this kind of students, I mean, enrolling in, in, in this subject? So the uni, uh, for mine specifically, I'm within the engineering and IT faculty. Okay. Uh, so it's a core subject for all engineers. So regardless of what engineering discipline you're in, uh, you have to do this subject. So in teaching that, I get it to hear of a lot of interesting ideas and I kind of get to be across a lot of different topics like 3D printing, RFID technologies, a lot of stuff. So it's quite interesting for me. But in saying that, I do like speaking with the students who are, who are not in the engineering faculty, specifically software. Uh, I really like uh, software ideas, but I don't get a lot of those in the engineering faculty. Uh, and the uni provides a few other services for, for non-engineers. So it's kind of like each faculty can teach it if they want. And then the uni has some kind of more broader uh, interdisciplinary kind of stuff going on. Okay. Wow. So, okay. I mean, fascinating. I mean, I didn't know that you could actually teach entrepreneurship. I mean, and I actually like it. I mean, I thought initially it was going to be a bit defensive, but I actually think is, I mean, it's useful, especially if they, if they get the tools that can actually help them to, pursue ideas a bit further. So right now you are working on your own gig, right? I mean, so you went from corporate life to, you know what, I'm out of that. Let's go and, um, and, and start something else. Seems to me that you are hooked with challenges, right? I mean, because I'm still blown away that you went from making websites to study law and it's so casual for you. And then, I mean, and then bye-bye corporate life. And then you, you're building your own startup right now. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about your, your new startup. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, this kind of, I'd been building a product before. Uh, I kind of got to the point, I had a few users sign up. Uh, I spent a long, long time building that uh, with one of my mates from uni and got to the end and was like, you know what, this is a, this is a difficult path ahead. Uh, the business model needed a bit of refinement. Uh, the area was going to be difficult. We could see the hurdles and we'd been working on it for so long and it was an after hours thing. Uh, so Can you define how long is so long? Uh, like this one, uh, this project was about a four-year project where okay, wow. we, we kind of built out the full stack. We built out all the technology and uh, it was a, a bit of interest stuff for us. So we're trying to explore, okay, well, where is web development going now? Uh, but by the end, we kind of realized that we were just building for building's sake. Uh, and that we didn't really have a solid uh, path to market. So we took a break from that. And during that break, I uh, met my current co-founder and he had had a bit of a varied background. So he had been a product manager at Amazon, uh, at Zinger. He had worked on Farmville. And then he kind of moved over to Australia. He had done a bit of work for a freelancer and Airtasker in a product management role. Uh, And, you know, I got chatting with him. I was like kind of looking for my next project to go going on. Uh, we got talking, we threw around a few ideas. At that point, it was 
time for me. I was like, okay, well, I want to do this full time. So I'm going to step back from all the corporate stuff. I'm not going to do it as an after hours thing. Uh, and that was when I went kind of all in. I went, okay, I really think I need to give this kind of running my own business the full attention it needs. Uh, and at that point, I, I thought I had an interesting idea. And, and back then, uh, the idea was, it was called Course Couch. And it was effectively a uh, double-sided marketplace for short courses. Uh, so we, had a, we started building that. Uh, we had a double size market for courses. So like a Udemy, but I can actually go and list my own course and I deal directly with my own. I mean, yes. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I, got, I can we go were doing online. We, we were doing like offline Udemy. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was kind of, it was meant to be a hyper local marketplace. Uh, at least to start the idea was, uh, so we had, you know, Meow Meow, the uh, local biohacker in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was running a few courses on that. Uh, he was like doing a what is blockchain course and kind of explaining concepts. And we, we sold out a few courses for him doing that. Uh, that was pretty fun. We had someone do some like music production lessons uh, and DJ lessons. So how do you actually do mixing? There were a few uh, photographers. Uh, so it was an interesting mix. Um, but ultimately, we got to a point where we're like, okay, well, the financial plan is looks fine. It looks fun, uh, but double-sided marketplaces are really expensive. Uh, Can you explain a, what double-sized market is for people that have no idea? Okay, so a, a double-sided marketplace is where your uh, your product effectively has two sides that, and you're facilitating an interaction. So, uh, Airbnb is a double-sided marketplace. So there's people looking for homes and then there's people selling the homes and you have to cater your product to both of those markets. You have to figure out how to get both buyers and sellers in at the beginning. Uh, and it's, it's commonly referred to as like the chicken and egg problem. Who do you start with? Uh, and that can be quite difficult. Uh, so we had a bit of strategy around that and we kind of executed on that a bit. And eventually what you find is with a double-sided marketplace, it's very capital intensive unless you can get the selling side of your market to pay for their own marketing. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of money burn and that's why you'll see large double-sided marketplaces burn through capital really quickly. Uh, so it was at that point where we kind of sat down and we had built quite a bit of technology and we wondered, okay, well, we've built all this IP. What, what can we do with it uh, that, this may be a bit of a change from the direction that we're currently going in. Uh, and then we kind of saw, I mean, something I've been following for so long is, you know, how the internet technologies are changing, what kind of markets uh, buying into websites and how people are buying websites has changed quite a bit over the time. Uh, and then we kind of saw that, you know, there's a lot of WordPress has been killing it for ages. Uh, they still have about 33% market share of all active websites. But they're wow. starting to... 33%? Yeah, of active websites. I think there's, okay. there's, there's around 200, uh, 200 million, I think it is, active websites online. About mm-hmm. a third of them are still built on WordPress. Uh, and what you find is that's starting to trend downwards. Uh, and what started to trend upwards was things like Wix and Squarespace and... Uh, there was a really big push from these guys to uh, kind of take over that market. Uh, still, they're very small. They're like uh, something like 5% combined, the whole website builders. But if you go and look at the direction that they're really headed is they're going for a big market shift, which is they're not selling to agencies and 
web developers anymore. And that's what they've traditionally has been their market. Traditionally, building a website has been to the point where you would just go and hire someone. If you're an SME and you're a business owner, you'll hire someone to put it together and they'll potentially use one of these platforms. And it seems to be a big market for them. And the market they're trying to push into now is actually selling some kind of uh, service to small businesses to kind of manage their online presence and make it a lot easier for them to kind of get online. It's a lot cheaper. You're not paying upfront fees for websites anymore. Uh, It's more like a SaaS subscription. So you're spending like a a small amount per month to have access to this software that's kind of helping you do that. Uh, And that was the kind of point where we're like, okay, well, let's kind of shift our focus a bit. Uh, I think we can change the current product. We've got a pretty technical team. Uh, so we're like, well, let's just change the product to rather than be a double-sided marketplace to be a platform that just spins up websites. And then, you know, maybe down the track, we can have it spin up double-sided marketplaces for people. Uh, and, and that's how your new idea came to came in place, right? Yeah, that's kind of where this change in direction came from. Uh, so we tried to ground it a bit more in uh, where the market was headed, in something that we'd be interested in, uh, in something that's a bit technical. I mean, I saw a, a post from, I think you posted it earlier today in one of the SEO groups that we're in around the different categories that is involved in getting it. <laughs> I feel like you were there. Yes. Okay. That was yeah. Good, yeah. 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 Uh, so there's a lot going on and there's a lot changing. Uh, so I would say that I would foresee the next five years, there's going to be drastic changes in how websites interact with the internet, uh, and feel like I can contribute there and actually have a good product that will help people get online and get connected and, and do it better than a lot of the others. So uh, the elevator so pitch right now for a, a point B, that is the name of the, I mean, we haven't actually mentioned the name of the startup. So the yeah. name of the startup is a point B. A point B is what we a kind point of, B. Yeah, okay, a.b.com. People get a little confused. They're like, is it a.b.com? I might know. a.b.com. <laughs> uh, okay, so a.b. Yeah. Uh, tell me, I mean, explain for people that are just listening right now, driving the car, what a.b. does in, 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 in plain English. So it's effectively a way of getting your web presence sorted really quickly. Uh, so you kind of sign up and uh, you have a website. Uh, it's not like a Wix or a Squarespace where you have to build it. Uh, you get to choose from a template. There's no plugins. There's no configuration. It's all centrally managed. And uh, for now, actually, because we're in such early stages, really, it's a, it's a, the front end looks more like a web agency. So people will approach us to say, hey, I want a website. We use our own technology to build it for them. Uh, and usually there's like a, a couple of hours turnaround time for that. So it's a really quick way to get online and get a professional looking site. It's fast. It has all the SEO bells and whistles. Uh, And then if you want to hire people through the platform to actually go and uh, work on your SEO or work on your digital marketing, you can do that as well. But one of the things that is interesting is, I mean, this is where I actually, because initially I look at this and I went like, okay, this is, I mean, you're competing against against WordPress was the point. But then I realized, I mean, I realized that it has the appointment part and the booking system already incorporated, right? Yeah, our idea is that you shouldn't need plugins. You shouldn't need uh, different uh, software and have to maintain stuff and update stuff. The kind of platform should do everything that your business needs. So the way we do it now is if you go to a homepage, it's more the kind of generic, this is our our business thing. But really where people come into and, and find us is when they're looking for a specific type of business. So if they want to do, say, a ticket sales website, there's a whole bunch of markets that we're catering to for ticket sales. And we're saying it's almost like Eventbrite, but it's on your own website. 
you don't have to send people to someone else's marketplace anymore. You can just sell it on yours and it's just as easy to set up and it's already built in. You don't really need to worry about anything. You kind of have your website. It says, Hey, I want to add an event and you kind of click it, add the tickets. It's similar to one of those ticketing marketplaces, except at the end of the day, you can send people to your own brand rather than someone else's. And it's interesting because I mean, I know in fact, I mean, of, I mean, of course, I mean, in, in this industry and building, sites once they I have the, the the accountant or the you know the first aid school or the yoga school and they want we want I mean booking management and we want to be able to sell the classes it's always a nightmare you always roll your eyes because you know you have to incorporate a new plugin and set up it's never like an easy process so do you think that this is actually the core uh I mean pain that you're solving the problem that you're solving is this booking section that is i mean that is one of the features or or do you think it's more about the speed of building your site and having something ready uh, i think it's more that business owners aren't doing this themselves at the moment business owners are not going and building a wix site don't the ones that do uh they know what wix is they kind of know a little bit about the web uh and then they're able to set it up themselves if you can't do that, there's a, there's a big gap and, and most of the other people do not know how to do that and they'll just go and pay someone thousands of dollars to get it done themselves. So I think the market is shifting now where business owners are becoming more comfortable and they're looking for a place to start and that's kind of where we're trying to jump in there is those that are willing to give it a go themselves and we're trying to make that process easy. A lot of them won't even know that you know WordPress has plugins that how do I download one, how do I upload it, how do I change a the theme uh, and uh, there's a lot of market education going on at the moment from those bigger players that you said earlier that we're competing with to try and get business owners to actually do it themselves. And uh, business owners are getting more and more used to actually subscribing and using SaaS products. Uh, the SaaS market penetration in the US is like over 90%. Uh, most of businesses are now getting used to the fact of outsourcing some kind of business function as software. Uh, but they're not yet doing it for websites, digital marketing. They're still going and hiring agencies. So that's kind of where we're try trying to jump in. Okay, so if I was, I mean, if this was in Shark Tank or, I mean, and Dragon's Den, one of, one of those ones, I mean, I will be asking you, I mean, isn't it crazy to try to compete against the mega monsters, the, the, the Squarespace, the Wix, I mean, the Wibbly, all the all these sites, or, or, or do you think that actually, um, I mean, did, did you consider that? I mean, are we, are we actually crazy by trying to, to, I mean, to build another web builder or, or do you think that actually that gap that you refer is going to be enough for you guys to, uh, to find your, your audience? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too concerned at this point in time. I think those uh, bigger players kind of have their market. They already have their brand. People know them, uh, but people don't use them. Uh, a lot of people who know of Wix uh, also know that they don't want to use Wix for whatever reason. Uh, potentially, they haven't tried the, sub, the product in the last few years. It's actually, it's not bad, uh, but it's still quite technical. It's not, really, it's not really been developed with business owners in mind. It's really trying to cater to that uh, kind of more technical audience. Uh, I've often thought about this. Uh, there are a few, a few bigger players in it and... Does that mean that you miss on an opportunity for, you know, breaking into and getting a monopoly or, you know, becoming a really big market leader? But there's currently no market leader. So the difference between, say, Wix and Squarespace, uh, they're actually pretty comparable. So these are like the two larger uh, web builders. No one really has the monopoly yet. No one's really figured it out. And this is a constant evolving thing. I think that the amount of changes that we're going to see in the next five years are uh, just Google alone, like just uh, schema.org and, 
you know, new ranking factors coming out. That's going to be really hard for a lot of these people to push enough features out really fast. And at the moment, one of our advantages is pushing fast and pushing features. Uh, so I think we're giving ourselves a bit of an advantage in, you know, playing in this field and that we can go and we can easily push out features in a couple of days where it's taking these other guys a lot longer to get their products updated. Uh, so I'm not too concerned. I think that, you know, for them to start coming in and cutting out uh, WordPress as the market leader shows that it can be done and it can probably be done again. Okay, so, so Sean, today I was talking to um, to Steven Yui that he, he comes from um, I Fly Flat. He's the the point hacker, and he was telling me how he went from corporate life to technically giving everything to their startup. I mean, saying, "Okay, I'm going to stop everything, my corporate life, my corporate job." And I find fascinating. I mean, from a psychological point of view, emotionally point of view. What drives people to do this? And, and in this case, it seems to me that you have you have done the same. So let's talk about, I mean, the challenges for you to say, okay, I'm going to go back into the into the startup rodeo and I'm going to be building something. And it, this doesn't seem to me that is very easy to build. I mean, this is nothing like you can, I mean, build in a weekend. So let's talk about the challenges of building. I mean, something like, I mean, a technology based, I mean, startup, and the I mean, the, was the fear factor? Were you nervous about about saying bye-bye to corporate life? Or you were completely convinced that this is, I mean, that, that you have to burn the, the bridges and, and not going back to, to be a lawyer? Yeah, I think, uh, so at that point, I was doing digital forensics at KPMG. So it was big four. I was wearing a suit to work every day. I was dealing a lot with banks. Uh, really, I kind of partied my way into uh, <laughs> to doing this. We, uh, myself... My co-founders, our partners, we all went and we went to Europe. So the day we, we, I quit my job pretty much the next week, we were over traveling around Europe together. We're like, let's at least go. And I love your style. Bang. Yeah, one last bang uh, before we go and uh, start this thing uh, while we still have a bit of money. Uh, so pretty much towards the end of that, I was just trying to get uh, rid of any debts that I had, uh, just make sure I could like skim by with very little uh, and then we kind of almost party. like going to war, right? Almost like, like getting ready. Yeah, for this, is, this, is, this is like the, the final party before we all got it going before we actually, you know, got sent off on the boat. So we did that. We had a great time. We traveled through Croatia. We traveled through Germany. We ended up in Netherlands. Uh, yeah, we had it. We had a blast, uh, for about, I think it was like three weeks. Uh, so we kind of partied our way into it. I was pretty excited. You know, I, I've been in corporate enough now to know that it's probably not my thing. Uh, and I think a big part of it is not being told what to do. I kind of like setting my own course and trying to figure it out. Uh, and the other thing is you have a bit of an autonomy, right? You get to make call the direction. You get to call it uh, how you see it. And I found that uh, as soon as you're in a really large company, it's really hard to kind of shift goalposts or do anything like that. Uh, you know, you see an issue, you try to bring it up. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of levels of bureaucracy and, and kind of red tape to get anything done. Uh, so for me, it was really uh, just about working for myself. I mean, an underlying thing, I guess, is it's a hard life if you want to kind of retire and after having a salary your whole life. Uh, I think that that is going to become less and less uh, popular, uh, particularly for our generation. I think actually going and trying to figure something out that's sustainable, figure out a sustainable business that can actually keep going for you and keep working for you is probably a pretty important thing. Uh, so I kind of saw that coming as well, but I'd say really, uh, I just want to work for myself. I don't want to be told what to do. Uh, 
we kind of talk about it in the entrepreneurship class a little bit, like what kind of personality gets driven to go and do your own thing. Uh, and really there's, there's a few factors, but having that kind of internal uh, locus of control, like being able to kind of set your own path and go down it, uh, was a really attractive for me. And I'd say the same for co-founders. I'd say that, you know, talking to them, we, we don't really want to work for a boss. Uh, we kind of have our own ideas and our own uh, hypotheses about where kind of the internet is headed, emerging trends. Uh, and, you know, I want to be a part of that kind of emerging market and those emerging trends and being able to actually be reactive to the market. And I, I don't really see how to do that if you're just working for someone else, particularly if it's something in corporate where uh, it's quite far away from being reactive in that kind of sense. You have to adapt to the rules. I, today, Alex Sharp, that he he's actually uh, part of the of the startup community. I was interviewing him, and he he mentioned to me that he believes that people that launch their startup are actually like like the same mentality of of gambling addicts, right? <laughs> like we. It's definitely we are, a gamble. Yeah, it's, completely. It, the, odds, the odds are stacked against you, and you know it. Yet you keep going for it. I'd say like. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a dopamine of launching, and now we have the log on. We are pumped, and the next day we feel like losers. And the next oh, day, crap, we're like, nothing's working. It's all caught on fire. Oh, okay, back to the drawing board. Release another experiment. What do we do? Yeah. Uh, okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about about the whole idea of I mean of of building a product because you come from a from a background. I mean, in, from the university about the whole idea of product managers okay i mean yeah. crafting the product going back to the and explain to me i mean how does that work from the idea of you going okay this 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 we need to reshape our initial idea to launching something where do you start once you have this idea do you get developers do you get i mean i mean people that can code how does exactly work that that i mean the process so i guess maybe that was kind of uh one of the things that I reflect on a bit is there is no build and they will come, right? You can't just build it and, and people will show up no matter how good your product is. It doesn't work like that. Uh, so when we started, I mean, we started with a nerdy team, right? Uh, we're all technical in some sense or another. Uh, so it was really the, the three of us going and, and working on this uh, and building something up ourselves. Uh, our there's three co-founders and the third one has only just kind of gone full-time on this. Uh, but he's been building with us for a while. We had uh, one outsource developer who was really good. Uh, we just kind of started building. We we're kind of like, okay, well, we need something. We can't go live with nothing. Uh, so let's just start putting a few things together. Let's build it in a way that is uh, uncoupled and that if we kind of need to take bits out and swap bits out or use bits elsewhere, we can kind of do that. And we kind of built with that ethos in mind. Uh, so by the time we got to the point of, uh, you know, thinking, how do we shift this? Uh, it wasn't that difficult because we had built it in a way that allowed us to do that. You know, everything was a component. Everything could be, it was abstracted out to some level that allowed the change to be pretty easy. I mean, if you have a good understanding of how, uh, you know, websites and internet infrastructure goes together. Uh, I think particularly if you're building a, an internet product, it doesn't become that difficult to kind of shift it around a bit. So I think one of the advantages that we had was we actually built a very malleable product from the beginning. We built something that, you know, if the business case or we wanted to shift direction or something changed, then we had a product that was going to allow us to do that. Uh, so I'd say that was pretty important from the outset was building a product where, you know, you want something where you can change the market a bit. You can experiment with different markets. You don't want to build yourself a product where you are stuck 
with that one market. And if it doesn't work, uh, it can't work. Uh, so we kind of already already had that in the back of our mind at the start. So we're like, okay, well, if we can both build a, a malleable product and have a malleable audience, then we can kind of keep tweaking the knobs a little bit until we find something that works. And one of the things I like about this is that you, I mean, you, I mean, initially your your initial startup actually failed, right? I mean, and 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 it's interesting. I was I spoke once with um, Andrew Warren from Mixergy, and he was telling me the best interviews he had in Mixergy. He has like a thousand interviews with startup founders are the ones of failure. How do you think failing on the initial idea or actually, I mean, or pulling off the initial idea has helped, I mean, crafting this new project? Yeah, I mean, I like to think that, well, I don't, I don't you know, I haven't actually often used the word failed. Uh, and I don't even look at it like that. I mean, I've worked on so many products over the years. Uh, I've probably been building product. I mean, my first products would have been built in PHP over a decade ago. Uh, and it's all a learning experience with each one you get better, uh, and you kind of ground whatever it is that you're working on in a bit more sense of reality and each kind of project or each kind of shifting that you kind of do, uh, you know, new lessons are learned. You keep working on it. It's all building on the last thing. Uh, I find that, you know, it's not a good idea to be going out there and saying, you know, I, I can completely shift the market. I'm going to do everything from the ground up. Uh, I find that like building on the shoulders of giants and kind of, you know, and on the back of your past projects is the only way to kind of keep going forward. It's like one in one in 10 will succeed. Uh, you know, nine, nine out of 10 will fail. And I reckon that you could probably do those 10 yourself uh, and just keep having a stab at it until one of them actually works. Uh, and that's kind of, more what I see this as, it's uh, a bit more research went into it, a bit more seriousness went into uh, financial modeling. I mean, really for us, that's as soon as you put your business down on a spreadsheet and you can see what it's going to look like for the next 12 months, uh, that's a pretty important part. And when you get to that step, that's kind of the part where you realize, okay, well, this is what I'm strapping myself in for for the next year. Uh, and do I want to raise capital? Do I want to go on and try to approach investors on, on this plan? Is this my final plan to action? I think that's where we kind of started asking those questions and kind of shifted it a bit. Uh, so I wouldn't say like it failed. I mean, two years of, is it two years now? Maybe it's like 18 months. It's, it's, a, it's been a while of building and we've not lost anything. Uh, our, there you go. Current, our current product is built on all the same tech that we had built earlier. Uh, really, we switched a few things. It took us from about December last year to January, maybe like two months, maybe three, to actually shift it from a double-sided marketplace to a, a website builder or whatever you'd call it. I guess as the advantage once once you build technology. Uh, I mean, today in one interview they were talking about that that it it, it bulletproofs a little bit the, the business when you build your own technology because you know you can always adapt that code and that code is is your intellectual property. And in in this case, I mean, it fits that that theory. I mean, that you actually went from an idea that maybe wasn't perfect and now you can you manage to make the shift in two months, right? Yeah, it wasn't hard. Okay. Uh, now, yeah. I mean, once you, you, you decide to make the shift, obviously is the whole idea of, I mean, a new branding, I mean, new angle and how, how challenging was that to, I mean, to switch your mental focus from, okay, bye-bye to one idea. I mean, let's look at the new one and, and let's start with that one. So I think our uh, general approach is, uh, okay, there's two things to build at the start. At the outset, there's two things to build, a sales funnel and some IP. 
Uh, and that's how I kind of look at it. Um, depending on what industry you're in, your kind of IP and whatever you're continually working on will look different. I mean, it could be a stack of documents. It could be a code base. Uh, but I think you need to be building some kind of IP. At the end of the day, you're going to probably try and raise capital or do something like that. You should be building some kind of value. And the other thing that you need to be building is your sales funnel. And what that generally looks like for us is we're either working on copy or we're working on product. And we generally are shifting focus uh, from one to the other as we're working on this. So it was not a surprise for us when we kind of shifted in that direction because the iterations for uh, product and copy happen a lot more frequent than our name change. So we went through a lot of different experiments and a lot of different copy changes and a lot of different title changes for us. We don't really mind too much about the name. Uh, so you mentioned branding and all that. That was really a, okay, well, we kind of have to do this now. It doesn't make sense to not do it. And that is the point at which we changed name and changed domain and moved over from something else. Uh, but we had been working on updates on copy, what sells better, what are people more interested in, what is a better market, how do we make our products suit that more. And you mentioned the appointments and the bookings, and that's kind of where the name came from. A point B was meant to be like appointments and bookings. And we had built a platform that had smart scheduling. It had appointments in it. It had bookings in it. So we'd already had people that were interested in actually just not using it as a marketplace, but using it as a kind of lead gen funnel for themselves. Uh, so it was more an organic kind of change. It wasn't like, a, okay, here's the day that we're no longer this other thing. Like we don't really have a, a go live date, right? The thing's been live for a long time. We just keep kind of shifting what it is and keep experimenting with, with new markets and new copy and new landing pages, see what converts. Uh, I'd say uh, there's a lot of experimenting that goes on outside of the product, like uh, landing pages, copy, uh, content, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and the nice thing about, about this, I mean, your story is that obviously integrates to what you're actually teaching at the moment, I mean, in uni. How has it been, I mean, do you think that it incorporates, I mean, in, 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 a, in, a, in a nice synergy, the fact that um, you have technically the educational part where you actually teach about entrepreneurial, but at the same time you're living the entrepreneurial um, lifestyle. Does that help you when you're teaching? I mean, or do you, do you feel confronted to the fact of like, oh my God, I'm teaching this. I'm supposed to have my, 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 my life, entrepreneurial life together. And we, we never have our life together as an entrepreneur. So how does it work as a, as, as a teacher? I think it actually works quite well. Like you said, it's, it's almost like, a, okay, well, this is how it's going to be, guys. Uh, I tell them often, I say, you know, if you guys want to get out of uni, you want to get started, you know, you're going to have some money problems, right? You're going to have to make some money. And I tell them, you know, one of the things you can do is you can lecture at a university. You, know, you can go back to the uni that you just studied at and do some work there and kind of build up that pocket money so that you continue to work on your product and that it's probably more realistic than just being a full-time academic. Uh, one of the things I think the students get out of it is I, I give them the tools. I tell them what I'm using at the moment. I tell them when I use my landing pages, I show them how to set up Google ads, how to do Facebook ads, how to do LinkedIn ads. Uh, you know, what is a, like, what is MailChimp? You know, how do, how do all these products go together? How do they all work? If you want to get a, I just ran a thing over summer, which was like an experimental course where I got to put together uh, whatever content I wanted and I could use industry tools and the uni would give me a bit of budget to play with that. So that course ended up looking like uh, I got people on SEMrush and Ahrefs doing some kind of uh, keyword research. 
uh, doing some ranking stuff, looking at what backlinks are, competition. Uh, then I move them through to building a landing page with something like lead pages and then ultimately running ads for it and getting people to come and click through uh, and then trying to engage with those customers and showing what kind of that full cycle looks like without actually building the product part. Uh, That's so super interesting that you can actually teach that in university. I mean, and I mean that is mind blowing. Okay, I didn't know you could actually apply that in in a classroom. Yeah. So this this was a this is not in my uh, you know 400 plus student class. Uh, it's a bit harder to get it in that. So for this, this was an experimental summer class, uh, and my idea was I called it like a. Well, next time I'm going to call it the business validator. And pretty much I, provi I provide a sounding board for the students who think they've got an idea and they want to execute on it. But it's a much more uh, like an intimate environment. There's a lot smaller classroom, around 10 students, and they're in groups on what they're trying to kind of get customers for and they work on all that together. But it's really good seeing students, you know, hands-on tools, uh, actually using the industry-leading like in industry leading tools and things that they should know when they get out of uni. Uh, I feel like uh, a lot of those students got quite a bit out of it and they seem to enjoy it quite a bit as well. Just It was good to show them uh, how to justify your assumptions with some kind of objective data rather than just saying, hey, I have an idea. I think it's going to make me a lot of money. Uh, and really just to be like, look, I don't have all the answers, but you can go and try and back up what you're saying with these tools. Uh, and then they go and try and do it. And that's really where the lessons happen for them. They don't really want to sit there listening to you, talk to them the whole time. They want to actually get to the, get to the realization themselves. And I guess also challenge you, I mean, constantly because, I mean, I mean having so many people testing things, you're going to also learn at the same time. I, I'm pretty sure you piggyback from some of the ideas because they're younger. They have, I mean, I mean a different perspective. So it's actually also pretty interesting for you. Yeah, I find that I get into a lot of conversations, right? And a lot of the time it's, you know, you get home and you're like, okay, what did I tell them today? I told them this thing. Am I doing that? Oh, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm, <laughs> exactly. Maybe I'm not. Isn't that so funny, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm like too in the madness myself to actually, it's a good way of taking a step back and just saying, okay, I told them to do all these things today. Am I doing these things? What in this am I not doing? And usually it becomes evident to me when I'm actually lecturing. So it's a three-hour lecture. It's a, it's a long time to listen to me talk. But like, you know, I'll be there. I'll be talking. I'll be talking about something. I'll be like, oh, then you do this. And I'll be like, oh, damn. Oh, I, haven't I haven't done that. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny, right? Like it might be a, like an emerging technology idea or it might even be uh, I'm pretty uh, excited about uh, live streaming and kind of where that's going to go in terms of, uh, you know, Twitch and, and Marketplace and you know, platforms like that. Uh, and so, you know, I'll be talking to my students about something like that and I'll get a, a good idea and I'll go and then experiment with it and maybe report back to them. Uh, it, it's pretty fun. Or, you know, I'll be talking about uh, that uh, Sky, right? The girl that is doing the uh, bug startup. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had some of my students reach out to her and actually just, I was telling them about her. I was talking about, you know, how do you educate a market and, you know, use her as an example. And some of them actually reached out to her and she responded. Uh, and she gave them some info. And that's where I found out about the uh, educating in primary schools. I was like, oh, that's, that's a really cool thing. That's really good to know. And it's a really good case study to use going forward. So even if it's not just me broadcasting to them, some of the times the students uh, bring back really good information. Do you find that sometimes, I mean, entrepreneurs, we forget the basics. Like we're so submerged in these new, new theories, new systems. I mean, the next big thing, but we keep forgetting the basics. You know, like, like the other day, 
I didn't realize that they didn't have like retargeting, I mean, codes, or I wasn't doing these. I was like, oh, I, I, I teach this to my clients, but I don't do it, right? So do you find the same, the same situation that, that- Yeah, and this, this gives me an opportunity to kind of, you know, just step back and be like, okay, am I, am I doing these things? I think uh, you can follow the textbook, right? You can, you can set up a, a business, kind of read the textbook, and be like, hey, these, this is, these are the things I have to have in place. This is how I have to do it. But you're never going to remember the whole textbook. And one of the lessons that should be in the textbook is that not everything is in the textbook, right? The stuff that in, is in any kind of literature is already old, right? Uh, you have to be experimenting. Uh, you have to be trying new things. And I say a lot of the stuff that gets highlighted to me is probably not the stuff that I've read over and over again, but it's often those things where you get in a discussion about some emerging tech or some emerging field. And then you'll realize that, oh, you know, everything's a search engine, right? And you can optimize for a whole bunch of these other platforms and you start learning about new platforms. A lot of the international students will uh, show me platforms from the countries that they're from. That's where I really get blown away, particularly uh, Chinese students showing me some of the apps that are coming out there, how good their payments integration is, how good all of that, where things are going to change. Uh, so even aside from the business lessons, just learning about emerging technology, uh, it's a good way to have the finger on the pulse. Okay, so where do you see entrepreneurs, I mean, in Australia, I mean, because you, you live and break this, so I really want to know your opinion. What do you see entrepreneurs heading in the next five years? How do you think the class that you're actually teaching is going to be different in five years' time? I'm hoping it is different in five years' time. I'll probably preface it with saying that. I really hope that uh, that class that I was saying that I ran with the hands-on tools, I really hope I'm running a lot more like that. Uh, I really hope that you know, learning this kind of stuff actually means understanding and, and building IP and what it means to build IP. Uh, I think that in five years time, uh, people won't be pitching a, a marketplace startup without uh, any product or, or people will kind of be less disillusioned about what it actually takes to get going. I think at the moment, there's a, there's a bit of a barrier that stops people, which is it's pretty hard to get online. It's pretty hard to set up a marketplace, but you know, it's getting easier and easier to get online uh, without building any IP. And I think focusing on sales funnel is uh, an often overlooked thing. And I think that over the next five years, people kind of realize that, okay, well, it's just as important to set up a sales funnel as it is to build IP. In fact, you could probably build a sales funnel and raise ca capital faster than you can do it uh, just with product. Like having a live product or having a live site doesn't mean that people are going to come and that there's another hard problem to solve there. So I think uh, shifting on focus on that, I think uh, getting hands-on tools, particularly in education and making a bit more real world, teaching them actually applicable skills and not selling a pipe dream, I mean, actually, I think people will realize, you know, in a few years time that it actually does take a long time to get started. And as much uh, encouragement that there is, uh, that's not going to get you there alone. And it's still going to take time and it's still going to take money. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see how it happens. I think companies are going to get smaller. I think it's a good time to be getting into business. Uh, I think uh, Naval, I think Naval's the one that says it. He says that, you know, there's these big technology companies now that could probably do the same amount with 20% of their staff. They just don't know which 20% to take. And I think that the next kind of tranche of companies will be a lot smaller. They'll be a lot more optimized. They'll use a lot more toolings. They'll be able to outsource a lot more to software products. Uh, and I think it's just going to lead to uh, an, in an interesting industry over the next few years. 
That's actually pretty interesting because that, I mean, that point that you make, I have had, I mean, tons of conversations, discussions and, and beers where, where you question, should you invest in better technology or more staff? And I mean, I used to have this, this agency I mean, in the past in, in India building apps and we had like 16 people and I was always wondering, should I have, should I hire more people or should I build better technology to, to systemize, I mean, processes easier? And I always was tempted to, to go to the technology part. I always thought that, that the humans could make more mistakes and we could always become more efficient with technology. I'm still not sure about that. What's, what was your feeling about this? You, you, you honestly think that companies will get leaner uh, and with less staff and will, will be a bit more efficient? For sure. I think that, and I mean, one of the things I tell my students, so if I'm wrong, I apologize to all my students for that. But uh, I don't think it's a it makes it a lot harder to scale. So one of the things I try to really focus on when I'm teaching is what is a scalable business? What does that mean? And I think if your scaling is related to how many staff that you have, that you're going to hit problems at some point. Uh, The more people you get, the more inefficiencies you're stacking on top of each other. Uh, And the way that uh, I find it really easy to hire overseas I find it really easy to go to, I mean, I had a developer in India for about a year. One of the best developers I've ever worked with. Technically, really sound. Uh, I didn't have to explain, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't write big tickets. I was doing like a couple of lines, flicking it off, uh, having very little interaction and getting a real high quality of work. And I'd say if that really picks up and you start to see more and more of that, it's going to be really easy to have a small fully remote team that utilize a lot of tools that automate a lot of the stuff that you, you can't otherwise do, uh, you know, just by, just with people, you start to stack these inefficiencies, you know, people getting confused, people doing things the wrong way, wasting time that these kind of tools take that away. And I think you can have a a much better, well oiled machine uh, if you're kind of pushing as much as you can out to tools and trying to scale up through that. Yeah, I agree completely. And, and I love the fact that you are, I mean, building your own startup, you have the experience and at the same time you're teaching. I think is the, is the, is the, is the perfect mix and, and, and how humble you are from going to, from coding websites to become a lawyer. I've never heard that one before. So, so, so well done, mate. Uh, do you think you'll become, you'll be, go back to, I mean, to law at some stage? Do you think those days are completely gone? You know, when I think back about what jobs did I enjoy the most, uh, I got pretty lucky with my legal job in that uh, pretty early on, I got to actually go to court and argue uh, in the Supreme Court. And not a lot of, uh, it's not an opportunity that comes up a lot. I somehow, <laughs> lucked out. I wasn't, I wasn't a good student in law. Like I didn't have the best marks. I just really got myself into a niche position. I really leveraged my prior experience in technology to kind of talk my way into a good job. And I ended up, uh, being able within my first year to go up and argue in the Supreme court. And, you know, there's judges sitting up there, like public speaking got so much easier after I did the legal stuff. When you have someone sitting up there wearing a wig, they have a staff, they have this whole bench thing. Everyone's looking at you. You're standing across people who are there to argue against you or your coworkers are standing around you, watching you, everything you recall, everything you say is being recorded onto a transcript that people will read. Like uh, after that, uh, and after that kind of experience, I felt like I got the most out of law. So if I was to go back, it would probably have to be in something really interesting. But uh, 
my, my mission here is to uh, not go back to working for someone else. Whether I do something in law and I find that it's given me a good background and a really good understanding of legal frameworks, the regulatory environment. Uh, there's a lot of stuff around small business stuff in Australia and medium enterprise stuff that's really interested, uh, really interesting and really helps me. But I don't think I need to go back to doing the law stuff. It would have to be a good offer. I'm and the whole Supreme Court is pretty badass. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can you have no issues in a in a in a Dragon's Den or a Shark Tank at any stage if you if you can manage to deal with the Supreme Court in Australia. So well yeah, done. I think a bit's about preparation, right? You have to kind of know what you're selling, and I guess that that's one thing now that I probably wouldn't go and uh, enroll myself in a Shark Tank at the moment with this thing uh, that I'm currently working on. It's only been a, a few months, and you know I'm still trying to figure out like okay, what what is what is the best way to uh, engage people on this idea. Uh, but yeah, I'd say my, ner- my nerves are, I mean, every week I'm speaking in front of 400 students. Uh, I, I do a lot of public speaking outside of, uh, you know, entrepreneurship. I, I do a lot of talks for, uh, local businesses, uh, accounting firms. Uh, there's a few groups that I've done public speaking for over the years and I'm continually going back. So I think I'd be okay. And I kind of, I'm a bit argumentative. I'm a bit, uh, you know, disagreeable. So I don't mind. I don't mind being asked <laughs> hard questions. I kind of enjoy it because I do it so much myself. Uh, I think someone has to wear that kind of pushback hat. And that I'm role, right? That. This is my yeah. role now. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, I, and so I don't mind when people ask that. In fact, I'd probably say it out of the, the whole of Shark Tank. I think uh, Steve Baxter is my favorite because he's always grilling people on like IP and saying, well, you know, have you built something? Like you've, you've kind of, you've got a WordPress install, but have you like, have you built anything? Like, what am I buying with this cash? And I really like questions like that. So, you know, I'd, I'd put a bit of prep into it, but you know, it'd be exciting. It could be good fun. That's awesome. Sean, if people want to find more information about what you're working right now, people are actually looking for, for a quick presence online with all the cool features that you're actually offering, where they can find more information about you and, and your new uh, startup. Sure. So the website is www.apointb.com. Most of the stuff is there. We have a blog, which is apointb.blog. And most stuff, I mean, there'll be people out there, they'll probably see me posting in Sydney startups and a bunch of other things. But mostly I can be reached there. Uh, I have a Twitter. I'm mostly a retweeter on Twitter, but most of the stuff I'm retweeting is pretty interesting. So I retweet a bunch of scalable business ideas, following a bunch of VCs and entrepreneurs in the area. So I just try and uh, get my students onto that and get them to start uh, digesting information. So that might be an interesting one. Fantastic. Well, Sean, thank you so much for, for, for the podcast. It was awesome to talk to you. Um, I love what you're working on. I will be um, I'm keep an eye on, on the idea. And yeah, hopefully... I don't know, maybe this podcast grows to a point that one day, I mean, um, your students will listen to, to, I mean, hopefully you can promote the podcast with your students. That would be pretty awesome. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'd like to, I want to get something going on Twitch. So what I'm currently working on is uh, figuring out um, something similar, not a, not a podcast. I don't know. I want to do something a bit different and I want to do it as a as some kind of live stream show. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, maybe that I'll be asking awesome. for some help at that point. Absolutely. Okay. So thank you so much and, and have an excellent night. No worries, mate. Have a good one. See you. Bye. Okay, okay, okay. So that's it, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. This is the end of the podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, why not do this Colombian-Australian guy a favor and go to startupfounders.com.au 
follow the links and maybe, if you can, if you have time, leave a review and subscribe via iTunes. Hopefully we can actually spread the word of this show. And yeah, and thank you so much for listening. I will see you hopefully tomorrow with another interview with another podcast here at Startup Founders. Bye.